Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on episode 14 of my Houston Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Balky. I'm a writer for Houstonia Magazine and the Houston Press. I also talk sports on Houston Public Media's Houston Matters program most Mondays at about 12.45 p.m. on KUHF 88.7 FM here in Houston. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeff Balke, B-A-L-K-E, or via email, jeffbalke at gmail.com. You can also find an archive of all my podcasts as well as links and notes from each episode at jeffbalke.com. So for this week, the Astros are road warriors, the Texans are 0-1, and some notes on the weather? Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Start with topic one, the Astros, road warriors. It's just really unbelievable what they're doing on the road. They swept the Tigers, finished off the series yesterday. Uh, They're now 92-54 and overall on the season. They remain three games ahead of Oakland. Uh, they are 52 and 22 on the road, which is just astronomical when you think about it, uh, considering the fact that uh, they're only 40 and 32 at home. I mean, a 555 average at home while having a 700 average on the road is just remarkable. And yesterday we found out after that win in Detroit, they set the major league record for the most road wins over a two year span. They now are at 105 road wins in two seasons, and they still have, I think, seven road games left against the Blue Jays and the Orioles, two teams that they should they should beat up on. So they're going to leapfrog the record for sure. Um, you know, it's it's kind of remarkable when you think about how the the differ to differentiate between their home and road records. They're just not a very good home team, um, but they're an outstanding road team. And you wonder if some of that plays to psychology. You know, these guys, they do like being around one another. Uh, They do enjoy each other's company. Um, Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe they feel like more together when they're on the road. Maybe it has more to do with Minute Maid Park. Maybe they should be better, uh, you know, at home, but aren't because maybe the Minute Maid Park just isn't conducive to that. We've, you know, we've talked about on here before, how Minute Maid Park has never been a a uh, uh, a park that produced lots of runs, despite the you know short lines down uh, the short uh, distances down the line, um, the Crawford boxes and all that. So I'm not sure what it is, but they are extremely good on the road. Now the good news is is the only team they would have to face on the road if they continue where they're at right now and win the division would be the Red Sox, and that would be in the ALCS, assuming Boston made it there too. Other than that, the Astros are likely to have the second best record in baseball. And even if they were, say, third to the Yankees because they win the division, the way Major League Baseball has it set up, they would still play at home even if they were to face the Yankees in the playoffs. So right now, you know, if they were to go to the ALCS and had to play on the road, that'd be good. I mean, they just took two out of three from Boston when they were there recently. But they do need to play better at home, there's no doubt. So hopefully they can do that. They got a homestand coming up. Really the last tough series of the season coming up uh, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then they've got the Angels. Really, when you look at what's what the Astros have left on the schedule, most of it is pretty straightforward. You know, they've got this uh, home series against the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are still a very good team uh, in uh, the National League. I'm taking a quick look here at their record. 
Um, they are 77 and 69, but they have been slumping lately. They're three of the, they've only won three in their last 10 games, and they really have struggled after being a, a, a really good team that was that was really pushing for that division. Now three and a half games back in the division, it looks like they're kind of slumping their way out. But then we've got the Mariners, uh, who are here in Houston at Minute Maid. After that, the Mariners are almost out of it entirely, and they have not been playing well. Then we have three games at home versus the Angels, who the Astros have played very well against, and of course they don't have anything left to play for. Then they go on the road, three games at the Blue Jays, a, a, a team that's not very good, and then three games at the worst team in baseball in Baltimore. So, you know, it looks like they're going to hold serve and, and go ahead and win the division. They do need to be better at home. We'll see if they can turn some of that around in the next, I guess it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine final home games. I'm actually going to go to the game uh, on Friday, uh, I guess, to, uh, yeah, tomorrow. I'm going to go see the Diamondbacks. Should be a should be a fun game. Um, and, and speaking of that, um, on a personal note, last weekend, uh, my buddy Frank, who... Uh, who I've known for many, many years, who played in bands together and stuff. He was, he kept saying, Hey man, we need to go play catch. Now I haven't played catch in maybe, I don't know, a hundred years. Um, and I didn't even have a glove. Right. And he had gloves. He's like, let's go play catch. And finally I said, you know what? To hell with it. I'm going to buy a baseball glove. I haven't had a baseball glove in a long time. And I thought, you know, this, it could be fun. So I went out, I went to Barcelona sports over here on Beltway 8. Um, I bought a nice glove. I didn't spend like a trillion dollars, but I didn't spend like zero either. So Mark, it's really kind of crazy how much baseball gloves are. Anyway, and uh, Frank and I went out to the park near his house and we threw a ball around for half an hour. And I just, a couple of observations about that. First of all, I'm old. My, my shoulder was sore and I could not throw like I used to be able to. Um, although I feel like I could probably, I'm not bad, but you know, um, I'm not bad for, uh, for an almost 50 year old. Um, but really it was, it was actually really enjoyable. It's pretty relaxing. Um, and it, it just, to me, it, it's evident, more evidence of the fact that the Astros have really rejuvenated and rekindled that baseball fanaticism that Houston had lost for a long time. I don't think, you know, even when we went to the world series in 2005, it was exciting, but it just it didn't feel like it had that same oomph that it did, say, in the late 90s, which was, to me, the last time that the Astros really sort of brought that in. And then, of course, they had those three horrible years before their ascendancy and eventual win in the World Series. I think it's just another example. Not, I mean, me buying gloves not really an example. Now, perhaps me sitting on that glove while I'm doing this podcast to break it in, maybe that's more indicative because it's not terribly comfortable, but allegedly it works. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, that's my story at the moment. I, I am playing catch now a little bit more, and I, it's actually quite fun. And, and uh, hey, man, I, you can't beat the exercise, right? All right, enough of that. Let's move on to topic two, and that is the Texans at 0-1. They lost their season opener in Foxborough to the Patriots 27-20. It was not as close as that score indicated. On the negative side... Um, let's start with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was not good uh, in this game. He made some dumb mistakes. He held the ball way too long. Uh, the Patriots got to him a lot, but the, the truth of the matter is the offensive line wasn't as awful as it could have been. Deshaun just held the ball too damn long. 
Um, and he just looked out of sorts. Hopefully that's just some rust and he'll bounce back and look better. Um, of course, they were playing the Patriots and Belichick just, he schemes better than anybody. And, you know, they kept Deshaun in the pocket all day long. He did not break contain almost at all. And that means that uh, he was forced to make decisions and he just didn't make very good ones. Um, additionally, uh, we had it just, I hate even talking about it because the guy is hurt, but Kevin Johnson, I mean, this might be the first first-round draft pick since Amobe Okoye, remember him, that the Texans have just completely fell on their face on. Kevin, you know, he was good for one season, but he's been injured and just has not played. He looked so completely out of place in that game. And then he suffered his second concussion this season. The other one was in the in the preseason. And man, when he went down, he looked like he got punched in the face by Mike Tyson. I heard saw somebody else say Mike Tyson, so I'm I'm not certainly not the originator of that. But then when he got up and they walked him to the sidelines, he looked like when you help when you have to help a buddy out of a bar at 2 a.m. who's too drunk to walk himself out. He did not look good. And so he's on the injured reserve, although they did designate him to return possibly uh, towards the end of the season. Honestly, I'd be surprised if that happened. I mean, how can you even trust him? So that thins up their their secondary, um, which is a problem. And then the third thing was the coaching. I mean, you know, I think there's been a lot made of the decision-making process, particularly when... So there was a throw at the end of the second half. Brady threw to Gronkowski. Gronkowski caught it, appeared to pin it against the field. The referees uh, said it was a catch. The Patriots being who they are, you know, being smart and savvy as they are, ran up to the line, snapped the ball quickly, um, and the referees did not have a time to time enough to call for a review. Now, in the last two minutes of the half in the game, the if you're not aware, officials have to be the ones that call for replays. You cannot throw the red flag. The coaches cannot ask for one. However... Bill O'Brien had three timeouts. He could have called a timeout and said, uh, and given the referees more time to make a decision. He didn't do that, and it was a huge play. The Patriots went on to score. They went up by seven, They went up, a, you know, by I guess it was two touchdowns going into the second half. And then there were some other, you know, Bill O'Brien chose to punt a couple of times in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's just really weird decision-making on the part of the Texans. And then the next day he goes into his, or that night, I guess it was, he goes into his press conference and says, it's not my job to call a timeout or whatever. And then he backtracked that backtracked that the next day. But, you know, he, it's just a bad look for him. I mean, he is his decision-making and his game clock management have been bad really since he started here. And we saw nothing in game one to indicate that any of that has changed. There were some bright spots, however. The defensive line, particularly in the second half, looked much better. They're a little rusty in the first half. They even admitted to being a little rusty. J.J. Watt, though, started to get to the quarterback in the second half. His burst looked really good. The, other than Kevin Johnson, the secondary looked quite good. You know, um, Kareem Jackson had, a, I think, two forced fumbles. Uh, uh, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, had an interception. Um, you know, they made some turnovers. They did. They looked really good. The running game looked really good. I think they had 170 yards. Um, both Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue, who again continues to hang on, 
Um, with the Texans, they ran the ball well. The line opened up uh, holes for them, particularly in the second half. Um, and then, oddly enough, the special teams looked really good. They had some issues with uh, punting. That you know, the young punter they got one partially blocked, but Tyler Irvin, who a lot of people didn't think was going to make the roster, you know, he's averaging thirty plus yards on you know kickoff returns. Look good on punt returns. That was a bright spot. So, can you, in the entire history of the Houston Texans, they have not really had good special teams. So it was it was nice to see that they head to Tennessee uh, week two to face a not. At full strength, Marcus Mariota, he was injured uh, in game one, hurt his elbow, so the quarterback for the Titans will not be at full strength, but he is going to play. They also face former Texans defensive coach Mike Vrabel, who is now the head coach at Tennessee. Look, the Texans are the better, they should be the better team, and everything would point to that, but they are on the road, and it is a division game. So we'll see. Um, I'm still going to pick them to win, and I'll get to that in a second. They should be at full strength. They did lose Chantrell Henderson, their offensive lineman. He had a broken ankle, really got rolled up on by his quarterback, Deshaun Watson. And then we'll, uh, and then uh, Kevin Johnson is out, like as we spoke about earlier, indefinitely with that concussion. But Will Fuller does return, and that's a big deal because having speed on the outside makes a difference. You know, there were a lot of times uh, in that first game where guys were just wrapped up in coverage and uh, there wasn't anybody that was able to get separation deep. And Will Fuller should be able to do that, especially against the Titans. I'm going to pick the, I think the Texans are going to win. You know, I picked them to win against the Patriots. So I'm 0 for 1 on that. I'm going to pick the Texans to win. I'm going to say 27-20 in this one. I think they're going to get going a little bit more, basically a reversal of week one. I think they're going to get it going a little bit on offense this time, and I think the defense is going to have its way with uh, with uh, Marcus Mariota and and this offense of the Tennessee Titans. I think you know you just they, they're I think they're going to be good, and uh, hopefully they'll bounce back. It would if they lose in Tennessee, it's not the end of the world, but you sure don't want to start the season zero and two and and drop a division game if you can at all help it. All right, f- topic three, final topic of the day. The weather? So I want to talk about this briefly. I mean, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a a lifelong Houstonian and a giant weather nerd. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about this a little bit for two reasons. First, you know, we have a um, massive hurricane, Hurricane Florence off the East Coast, probably going to make landfall in the Carolinas tonight. And it's setting up to be a really weird situation because the it looks like it may either just make landfall or hover off the coast, and it's going to hang around for several days. Then today, the 13th of September, is the anniversary of the landfall of Hurricane Ike, uh, which Hurricane Ike sometimes gets a little overshadowed and forgotten because of what happened in hur- with Hurricane Harvey last year. Ike was a huge disaster, especially along the coast. I mean, it essentially wiped out everyone in Bolivar. Um but we don't talk about it quite as much because it didn't have that sort of massive, you know, it wasn't a historic storm in the sense that we didn't have 50 inches of rain and all that, and it wasn't quite as widespread. It moved through the area fairly quickly. Um, obviously, I was here for that when I was living uh, in the Heights at the time. 
I think the thing that's interesting about Florence is that the hurricane off the East Coast is that it has a possibility to be a, a kind of a combination of both Ike and Harvey, the last two storms that we've faced here in Houston. It's going to have a massive storm surge because it's a huge storm. And even though it is doesn't have the wind speed now, it's come down a little bit, it's very similar to Ike in that sense. It's got like 110 mile... You can hear my cat in the background. She apparently is not a big fan of hurricane talk. Um, you know, it's going to have 110 mile an hour winds or so, which is which is terrible, but it's still really a, a Category 2, not a major hurricane. But because it is such a massive hurricane, it's going to push tons of water on shore. That's very much like what happened in Ike. The other, And in fact, Ike was one of the first times there was a discussion among weather people of like, listen, we need to get rid of this uh, Saffir-Simpson scale, the Category 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, because it doesn't always identify things correctly. You know, the pressure may be a Category 1 hurricane, but the storm surge may be Category 3 and the rainfall, you know, you, you, so they really need to revise that. In this case, Ike was like that. It was really a relatively, you know, it was a Category 2 hurricane, but the storm surge was almost like a Category 4. So it was, and I think Florence is going to have that. In addition, the steering currents around Florence that move hurricanes around, they're going to just disappear. And that storm is going to float around Basically, from tonight through like Monday, it's only going to move maybe a couple hundred miles. So it is going to dump torrential amounts of rain into the Carolinas, probably the eastern Appalachians into Tennessee, down into Georgia. I was just through that area recently. We have some friends who live outside Raleigh. Um, I was, you know, we stayed in Asheville. That whole area is just going to get deluged. They're talking near the coast, 30 plus inches of rain. Now, it doesn't look like it's going to set up to be the same level of rainfall as Harvey, but look, Harvey was a record setter. So whatever the case may be, it is going to be a very, very terrible situation for those people over there. And I talk about it here because honestly, I feel bad for them because we along the Gulf Coast know what it means. And hopefully uh, they can get through it and, you know, get back to normal as quickly as possible as, as best as we have here in Houston. As an aside, if you guys are trying to pay attention to weather here in Houston at all, I encourage you very strongly to uh, visit spacecityweather.com. The friends of mine, Eric Berger, the former uh, writer for The Chronicle, now writes for Ars Technica, and uh, Matt Lanza, both uh, meteorologists, they present the best and most comprehensive and the most balanced weather forecasting specific to Houston there is. I do a little bit of writing about weather for the Houston Press, but to be honest with you, nobody does what they do. And uh, their link will be in my blog as well. All right, that's it. I'm going to wrap it up for uh, this episode 14 of my Houston Sports Podcast. Just a reminder, I'll be on Houston Matters on KUHF next Monday, September the 17th, then back here next Thursday. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Balky or by email jeffbalky at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out previous episodes and links to the things I discussed on my blog at jeffbalky.com. You guys have a safe week and uh, hopefully the Texans win. 